Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Brian Candelo. Hey, we're uh, continuing our series that we called Crave. We're talking about the longings of the human heart. And let me just start by asking this question. Have you ever... um, Try to follow someone's lead. Uh, they, they're the leader. They're the one that you're trying to just keep pace with. And you're following their lead. And you find yourself confused, annoyed, and frustrated by their leadership. For example, uh, you're trying to follow someone to a location. You don't have the address. Google Maps is not in play. And you're following this car, and they're going to take you to the place you want to get to. And so you're just trying to keep your your eyes on on that car. And as they're driving, um, you realize that they're driving like they're in a NASCAR event. Uh, They are going super fast, and they're just blowing through not just yellow lights, but red lights. And if you've ever been in that situation, you're like, okay, I know the color of the car. I wish they were driving slower. So you get through the intersection, and you realize, oh, there's like five red cars now in front of me, and I don't know which one is which. And you are, you're you're annoyed because you're supposed to follow this person, and you can't, uh, you can't follow them. Or maybe... Um, when you were younger, your, your parents divorced, and you found out pretty quickly that um, through that, that your siblings, your younger, your younger sister, your younger brother, um, they started treating you as the parent. You're the oldest child, and, um, and, and not only did, was, that, was that difficult, and did that just put some kind of strange weight on your shoulders, but as you grew older, not only did your siblings continue to look to you as parent, but you found yourself parenting your parents, and, and that was confusing, or that is confusing for you. Or maybe it's your boss at work. And you're searching for words to describe them. And you're saying that person is, is like, is, well, interesting. <laughs> I, I, things that you should know about beforehand, you, you, you don't. You find out the last minute, so you haven't had a chance to prepare. And uh, the, the company or the business um, has these values printed out, and they're on the wall, yet you discover that uh, your boss, your supervisor, uh, they don't value the values. Uh, you're on conference calls or Zoom calls, and you find out that when he's not pulling or she's not pulling their weight, that they tend to blame, and people get thrown under the bus, and you get thrown under the bus, and that frustrates you. I think there's something in us that just wants to be led well. I think there's a longing in our souls to be led well. And there are plenty of people who are making their claim for leadership. People who are saying that you can trust me. Just try, I, I can get you to. I can get you the directions that you need. I can provide the security that uh, that you're longing for. I can. I can give you the confidence in leadership that that you desire, that you ache for. And can we just say that our culture today is groaning for good leadership? It aches for good leadership. I mean, there are politicians that are telling us that they can solve our problems, and, and uh, can we trust them? Or, or there's celebrities that are making endorsements about the car they drive, or the product that they're putting in their hair, or the cereal that you're supposed to eat, and can you trust the celebrities and their endorsements? And 
Can you even trust your parents? I mean, they grew up in a completely different era. I mean, do they have any relevance for what, uh, what you're going through in this day and age? And you might find yourself, as everyone's saying, follow me and trust me, saying, you know, I, I, I can't trust all that. And I am just going to just weave a cocoon of my own suspicion and cynicism of what's going on out there. And I'm just going to trust myself. I'm just going to, that's the only person I can trust is I'm just going to go ahead and call the shots and friends into a society, a culture, into a world, doesn't matter when, what time of history, um, there are claims and assertions for leadership and into that scenario, those scenarios, Jesus is making a leadership assertion. Jesus is going to say, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. We got started in this series last week. Brian talked to us about the claim of Jesus that I am the resurrection and the life. That those who want quantity of life, they're looking for a long life, they want to enjoy life. And those who want quality of life, significance, meaning, and purpose, that Jesus is making a claim and saying, I am the only one that can give you significance and meaning in this life. And I am the only one through which you can have eternal life. Brian showed us that from the life of Lazarus, the, the, the resurrection of Lazarus, and that story that's found in John 11. But today we're looking at John chapter 10. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go there. I'm going to read a section of John chapter 10 here in, in a moment, verses 11 through 16. But Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. This is a leadership claim. This is a leadership assertion. Now, just understand this, that, that there's something unique going on in the Gospel of John. Moses, before he goes down to Egypt, wants to know what God's name is. Who do I tell that has sent me? And God says to him, I am who I am. And Moses begins this journey of having God revealed to him. But you get to the New Testament, and now Jesus is, is providing some more more revelation and insight into who God is. And he's using I am statements, which in the Jewish mind would have been, that would have, that would have been loud and clear. That would have sent a statement that, oh, oh, he's making a claim. He's making a claim for divinity. I am the resurrection of life. And in our text, I am the good shepherd. We're getting some dimensions, some revelation about who God is in his son, Jesus Christ. And so in the Old Testament, we have God in a burning bush. We have God in a pillar of fire and in in a cloud. In the New Testament, we have him in Jesus. Jesus is God's son. And Jesus is teaching us about himself. You could call this Jesus teaching on Jesus. (laughs) I am the good shepherd. Let me read verses 11 through 16 for us from John chapter 10. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks him and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. This is God's holy word. 
Jesus, again, is making a leadership assertion and a little context for us. He's making this leadership claim among leaders who are listening in. They're the Pharisees. They're the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus is saying things in such a way that he's frustrating the religious leaders, but he's also drawing the people who were following the Pharisees, and they're beginning to follow Jesus. Jesus gets up at a festival and says, hey, if anyone is thirsty, uh, come to me and drink. And uh, by the way, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And by this he meant the Holy Spirit who would later come. And the Pharisees heard this and they knew that they, they just knew this had to be blasphemy. This guy is claiming to be God. And not only is he making outrageous claims, He's doing things you shouldn't be doing. He's healing people on the Sabbath. He's healing men. He's healing women on the Sabbath. He's breaking the religious ceremonial laws. And, um, and, and this is angering the Pharisees. And so what they try and do is they try and trip Jesus up. They bring a coin and say, hey, hey should we pay our taxes? And they bring a woman who's caught in adultery in, in, to Jesus and say, hey, this woman's caught in the very act of adultery. The law says this. What do you say? And Jesus outfoxes and he outsmarts the Pharisees. And they are so angry with him. They are so frustrated and annoyed with him. They want Jesus gone. They don't like his leadership, yet Jesus is comparing them in this metaphor of a shepherd and sheep, he's comparing them to hired hands that are just in it for themselves. And he's saying, follow me, I am the good shepherd. And that's, that's the context for, for, for this chapter. And can we just say, yes, the, 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 the voice of the Pharisee, the spirit of the Pharisee is alive and well in our day, but there are other voices that are clamoring, that are calling for you and I to follow them. Here's what I want to do today. I just want to give you three types of shepherding that happens in our culture today. And then I want to talk to you about why you would want to come under the leadership of Jesus, the good shepherd. Three types of shepherding that take place in our day and then why, why Jesus is the good shepherd and then we're going to take communion together and celebrate his goodness. We'll just dive right in because the, the first one, the first type of shepherding is cultural shepherding. This is the voice of culture that is saying to you and I, follow me. Follow me. And, and this happens in a lot of ways. I just picked a couple that, 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 that may be obvious for us. One's, one comes through what's called choice architecture, simply meaning the, the, like an arch, the placement of choices that are put in front of us on purpose. So, for example, you have young children, or you remember when your children were younger, and you need to go to the grocery store and you need to get some food. You got three kids and you pull up the grocery store and your goal is just to get in and get out, do without any incidents that attract attention. You have a child in the grocery cart, you got a couple kids you've told to hang on to the grocery cart and you're going up and down aisles and most of what you are saying out loud is stop it, don't touch, no, put it back as kids are reaching and clamoring, grabbing stuff and trying to get it into the cart. You're frustrated, you're anxious and, uh, and, and people around you are looking at you and you're just trying to calm a kid who's having a meltdown in the aisle and finally you've got everything on your list in your cart and you go to the checkout stand and what is there at the checkout stand? Everything a kid would want. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that when you go to the checkout stand, there's not a little refrigerator that has eggs and butter and milk in it because you forgot that. 
No, it's peanut butter Reese's cups. It's sugary drinks. It's magazines with headlines on them that you don't want your children to see. And it's all right there. Friends, this is choice architecture. This is culture saying, this is what you need. This is what you should have. Here's the message that you should have. And it's being, in fact, you have messages coming you at all, all day long. Some of you, even as we began our service, have messages that popped up on your phone or maybe on your, on your watch. You're getting notifications. Messages are always coming to you. Don't forget to, send, to, to, to set your fantasy football roster. Uh, don't, don't forget, there's a reminder, don't forget to do this before you go home. Message after message after message. And the choices that are placed before you are placed there on purpose because culture is saying, follow me. You fill out the application and you're identifying, you get multiple choices for identifying gender. Fill out the paperwork and it comes to sexuality, multiple choices on sexuality. And it goes on and on and on and on. Or sometimes your choices are limited. You come to election season, you go, really, these are my only two choices? It's choice architecture. It's put there on purpose. Another way that our culture says follow me and wants to lead us is through the information that's sent. We don't talk about notifications and messaging and all that, but it's just information. Uh, One person has said what a bludgeon is to a totalitarian state, propaganda is to a democracy. Meaning the message, message that's coming our way. The information that's coming our way. Like the, the, the two most abused words in our culture today are love and hate. To love is to agree and buy into the myth of autonomy. You can do whatever you want. To hate is to simply disagree. That's, that's the slogan. That's the mantra of today. Uh, Mark Turnbull, writing in his book, I, he's the author of a book called Nudge, says, we just put information in the bloodstream of the internet and then watch it grow. Give it a little push every now and again over time to watch it take shape. There's no need for branding, so it's unattributable and untrackable. Just put the information out there. People click on it, algorithms kick into place. You start going this way, I start going this way. Before long, we're pitted against each other. It's culture saying, follow me. BBC carried an article years ago about some sheep that went off a cliff. 400 of them went off a cliff. Apparently one sheep got too close to the cliff, went off, and then four or five others went off. And before long, 400 sheep went off the cliff. You would think by sheep five or six, they would go, that did not end well for those other sheep. But they all went off. Interesting, they're sheep, and we're talking about Jesus being the good shepherd. Friends, this is why cultural leaders call us sheeple. Just get a few influencers to present a product or present a message, and the masses will follow. Your culture is saying, our culture is saying to us, follow me. And there's a lot of different ways that they spread that message. But that's just one type of leadership. The other type is religious shepherding. 
religious shepherding. We're talking about that actually that, that there's this manipulation, there's this coercion that takes place in religious environments that puts a heavy load on those who are following. It's, it's buying into this idea that I must perform in order for God to be pleased with me. And most scholars will tell you that when you get to John chapter 10 and you're reading about Jesus and the good shepherd and you're reading about hirelings who are in it only for the money and for themselves, this is actually a hyperlink back to the Old Testament going back to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34, I'll just read uh, three verses from that chapter uh, where Ezekiel writes, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. Harshness and cruelty. Key words that actually describe quite well what religious shepherding sounds and looks like. If you want to get your head around this in sort of a contemporary setting, on one far extreme, think about the Taliban. That's religious shepherding. Strict rules in place. If you violate those rules, there is punishment, and that punishment is harsh, and it can be cruel. But it's not not always as as evident as, as that. Sometimes it's just much more insidious. Years ago, there was a woman named Gwen Shamblin who started a ministry, a parachurch ministry in churches. It was called the Way Down Workshop. It was teaching people about how to have self-control when it came to their food uh, consumption. And uh, a lot of people loved that ministry, and it was a great ministry, and there are many lives that were blessed by that ministry. And so many people began following uh, Gwen that she actually planted a church and started her own church and became the lead pastor of that church. And slowly after time, what was discovered was Look, if you really want to please God, and if you really want to have life in this church, then what you need to be is a person under self-control, which means you can't have any excess weight on your body, and you need to be attractive. And people who started coming to church that maybe had a few excess pounds found that they weren't allowed to serve, and they weren't allowed to lead. Because this is what it looks like if you're going to please God. That's an example, a contemporary example of religious shepherding. And... Jesus is contrasting his leadership. See, to culture, I believe Jesus would say, what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? And to the religious shepherds of our day and to the religious shepherds of his day, Jesus is saying, you're putting a heavy burden on people. And to the people, he would say, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest for my burden is light. And culture is saying, follow me. And religion is saying, follow me. And I don't know if you've found yourself in a place where you're just exhausted by all the cultural message and you're worn out by all the performance that's placed on you, perhaps by religious shepherds. And you just fall into that place where you just simply say, you know what? I'm going to engage in the third type of shepherding, which is self-shepherding. 
I'm, I'm worn out by everything that is, all the messaging that's coming at me. I'm done with, with religious shepherding. I'm just going to show, I'm just going to call my own shots. And if you find yourself there, can I just simply say, I, I get it. <laughs> because we get to that place where like, I, the only person I can trust is myself. I'm just, I'm just going to do this myself. But the inherent problem with that is our brokenness. And then if we live out all the desires of our own hearts and if we buy into the myth of autonomy, who's going to rescue us when we find ourselves stuck or making a mess of life? Because there's hidden brokenness within us in which we would be completely embarrassed if it went public. And yet, so many of us are saying, you know what, I'm going to do what I think is right. And so many of us are under the weight of performing for God, not believing that when Jesus went to the cross, he said, it is finished. And that really, literally our doing, our obedience is an act of worship as a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. And that the messages of culture lead to emptiness. And if you find yourself exhausted, along comes the God-man, Jesus and he makes a leadership assertion, a leadership claim, and says, I am the good shepherd. Friends, if you're tired, if you're exhausted, if you're wondering who to lead, listen very carefully to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the good shepherd. It's not a moral quality. In fact, if you go to the original language, we'll put up here on the screen, here's what good means. You, 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 you kind of mine this word from the text. It means beautiful, it means wise, it means noble, it means honorable. It means excellent. Jesus is making a leadership claim and he's contrasting himself with the Pharisees and the voices of his day and he's still contrasting his voice with the voices of our day and he's saying, friends, my voice, my leadership is beautiful. My leadership is wise. I'm a noble leader. I'm an honorable leader and you will find that I will lead you in an excellent way. And Jesus describes the different ways that he will lead. And it begins, he, he begins by saying, I lay down my life for my sheep. He leads by laying down his life. Now, we read this and we, we automatically think his physical life. And you, and you should think that. But what we need to understand here is when the English word life appears in our New Testament, there are so many words in the original language that are translated into this one word, life, that we miss the full meaning of what Jesus is saying here. Here's, uh, here's three words that get translated life to, to life in your Bible. This isn't all the words. But there's bios and suke and zoe. And bios, you see the word biology comes from that word. That's the physical life. You see the word suke. You see the, the English word psyche or psychology. That's the life of the mind. Zoe is eternal life. This is life that is forever. And when Jesus says, I lay down my life, he actually is not saying I lay down my bios. He's actually saying I lay down my suke. I'm laying down my mind. What he's getting at here is I'm actually going to take the things that I would value, things I want to do. I'm not going to pursue those things. I'm actually going to pursue the Father's will and I'm going to lay down my, my life. I'm going to choose what's best for you at my personal expense. Jesus is going to insert himself into our world and put himself at risk and in danger so that you and I might be saved. What would it look like today to have a leader in commerce 
a leader in education, a leader in government, a leader in the neighborhood, a leader in, a leader in, in, our, in a home that said, I'm going to lay down my life, my suka. I'm going to lay down what I think is best for me. I'm actually going to insert myself into my home, into my neighborhood, into my city in such a way that I'm going to put myself at risk for the sake of others. This is what Jesus is saying, and this is why he's beautiful. This is why he's good. He lays down his life. The second thing Jesus says, how he leads, is he leads relationally. Jesus says, I know my sheep and they know me. Just as I know the Father and the Father's in me, so my, the, 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 the Father's being revealed to my sheep. He leads relationally. Jesus says, you know, no longer are you slaves. Now I call you friends. He, he wants relational connection with us. And so he's, he's, he's doing things that, what, that is he, he's laying down his life. He's washing his disciples' feet. And then he's saying, I want to be connected with you. And let me just think of a metaphor. How do I describe this to you, that this connection being so important? Oh, I know. I'm the vine. You are the branches. I want you to be connected to me so that my life might flow through me, the vine, into you so that you might bear fruit. You will know me. You will understand me. We will be friends. And Jesus leads relationally. And then Jesus leads with his voice. He speaks. He comforts. He encourages. He strengthens. I believe Jesus says the kind things like, good morning, how are you? He says things like, I'm sorry that happened to you. I think Jesus says things like, be strong. Don't be afraid. Jesus leads with his voice and he tells us his sheep know his voice. They recognize his voice and they will follow him. Not the hirelings who are in it for themselves because the sheep know better than that. They can smell it and they can hear it in the hireling's voice. But Jesus leads with his voice. And the last way Jesus leads is he leads as a unifier. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not in the fold. And they will listen to me. And there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. Jesus is leading as a unifier. You do realize he's talking about us, right? Uh, you know, if, if you have Jewish background... Then, uh, then you know he's he's already he's already the savior for for Jews. But now he's talking about Gentiles, which is most of us in the room, most of us probably listening. Jesus is saying, "No, there's others who will hear my voice, and there will be one flock, and there will be one shepherd. There's not going to be fifteen flocks. There's not going to be five hundred flocks. There will be one flock, and there will be one leader. There'll be one shepherd, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is a unifier. Jesus speaks a good word to us. Jesus wants a friendship. He wants to be relationally connected with us, and he lays down his life. He actually inserts himself, and he puts himself at risk for you and I. And friends." That's the kind of leader I want to follow. The question is, is this the leader we are following? I mean, who, who are we being led by? Who are you being led by? Is it culture? And the choices that they're putting in front of us and the message that they're putting in front of you? Again, Jesus would say, what, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? 
Is it the religious shepherding? Is it this buying into this idea that I've got to obey, I've got to do all the right things in order for God to love me and like me? Is it self-shepherding, saying, you know what, I'm just going to do what's right in my own eyes? I think Jesus would say to that, how can the blind lead the blind? The invitation from Jesus is, let me be your good shepherd. And if you find yourself exhausted, and if you find yourself tired, if you find yourself weaving a cocoon of suspicion and cynicism, if you find yourself divided, Jesus says, let me lead you. Let me shepherd you. Because I'm the good shepherd. I'm beautiful, I'm wise, I'm noble, I'm honorable, and I'll lead you in the excellent way. Years ago, uh, there were a group of us who were from Salem Alliance who were going to participate in a hood-to-coast kind of relay race in the Middle East to raise money for the Alliance Academy of Jordan. Um, we, we signed up for this race. It was called the Dead to Red, which sounds like a very ominous name for a race. <laughs> but it, was, uh, it, went, it went from the Dead Sea to the Red Sea. And we flew 28 hours to our destination. And when we got there, we were exhausted. Of course, we were jet lagged. We're at the airport. We get our, our baggage. And uh, Nathan, he's the international worker who's there. Man, what a, what a great guy. And, um, and he, but he says to me, hey, I, I had to rent a van uh, because we do this van thing in this race. And I'm going to need you to drive this van and follow me to this location to where we're going to spend some time before the race starts. Right away. I just had alarms going off in me because I've, I've obviously been to this country before, but I've, on the roads, I've only sat in the passenger seat. I've never driven uh, in, in the Middle East. And one thing I know about driving there, it's, it's very aggressive driving. Uh, people are very expressive as they drive. Um, the collisions are quite common. Uh, there's these circles, these roundabouts in this major city, and it's just like a giant merging, and bad stuff happens in those circles. And uh, Nathan hands me keys, and I tell Trina as we get into the van, put your seatbelt on because I cannot lose Nathan. I just can't lose him because if I lose him, then and we're not going to get to where we need to be. And so we're driving and I am trying to keep my eyes on Nathan and I am driving aggressively and people are yelling at me and they're honking at me and I'm just trying to keep an eye on that white van that's ahead of me and I'm going, I'm getting, man, I just feel the adrenaline pouring into my, into my bloodstream and my heart is beating fast. And thankfully, I was able to keep my eyes on, uh, on Nathan, and we got to where we were at. But I was even more exhausted. <laughs> what I would have given for someone who knew the way to get into the driver's seat and for me just to sit in a passenger seat, I would have loved that. Friends, some of you are worn out and exhausted, and you're anxious and you're burdened. And some of us in the room have perhaps given in to cultural voices. Some of us have given in to the performance legalistic voices, religious voices. Some of us have said, I'm just going to call my own shots. And you're worn out. And could you hear Jesus simply say to you today, to us, I'm the good shepherd. Will you let me lead? Will you, will you let me drive? 
and the choice is yours. And he wants to lead. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.